You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with a belated Southern Fried Soccer end-of-season podcast. I apologize to you, the listeners, and to producer Shane, who was desperately trying to get me to record this last week, but it just didn't work because I was part of the Braves coverage. And when you're covering the Major League Baseball team, you're at the stadium for a very, very long time each day. And I just couldn't fit it in. So I'm sorry. I hope that you'll enjoy this as much as you would have last week. It was a uh, difficult season for everyone. For you, for the players, for the coaches, for the front office, for the league. The league wants parity, but at the same time, I'm sure it doesn't mind seeing some of the bigger markets that have the largest stadiums succeed and get to host playoff games. But of course, that did not happen for Atlanta United. The reasons I have beaten into the ground so far that I think a Balrog might come out. And if you're wondering why I referenced a Balrog, it's just because I just finished watching uh, the Rings of Power on uh, that content provider that I don't whose name I don't want to mention. But we did talk to Vice President Carlos Bocanegra last week. We talked to Banjur Gonzalo Pineda last week to get some of their end-of-season thoughts. But let me just go through some of the numbers really quickly so that you can have an idea as to where the team finished. And everyone has their own theories as to why it didn't play well. We've, as I said, gone over them many times. Finished with 40 points. That's an average of 1.18 points per game. 34 games. Finished in 11th in the East with a record of 10, 14, and 10. 48 goals for, 54 against, 8, 4, and 5 at home, 2, 10, and 5 on the road. Injuries crippled this team, made it almost impossible to get any consistency, any confidence, any chemistry, and therefore any results. As I record this podcast. Meetings were scheduled to begin between Bocanegra and the players on the team about their futures. Some are still under contract. Most are still under contract. Some have options. Some are out of contract. But the biggest question mark, of course, is the future of striker Joseph Martinez, who declined to talk after the game, other than to say Pineda is over there, Bocanegra is over there, or Bocanegra's over there and Pineda's over there, vice versa. So 
first question I asked Bocanegra last week was how would he describe his relationship with Joseph and what are the club's plans for him next season? Yeah, fine with Joseph. Uh, obviously, he's a competitive person. You know, um, he's been fantastic with the club for for the six years. Um, he's done fantastic things for us. So we understand uh, what he means here and what he means to the club. And, um, you know, spoke to his agent, uh, like I spoke with many of the other players' agents throughout the year. We have touch points and, um, you know, we will be speaking with, with his as well as others uh, in the coming weeks and, and just having discussions. But uh, there's been nothing decided, Doug. Um, you know, we're, we're still going to have discussions. We need to we need to talk uh, with with him and other players as well. So um, that's kind of where everything stands right now. So if you didn't see the story I posted earlier today, uh, the Major League Soccer Players Association released the salaries for the last half of the season. It includes compensation, guaranteed compensation, et cetera. It's, I wouldn't hold it as a truth that this is the monies the players get because there are things that aren't included and there are things that are included that kind of dilutes it either way. But the team's guaranteed compensation as of September 2nd, I think it was, is $22,431,357, fourth highest in the league. Luis Arujo who finished with four goals and six assists, is the team's highest paid player at almost $4.5 million. He's the ninth highest paid player in the league. Joseph Martinez, who we were just talking about, had nine goals and four assists. His guaranteed salary is about $4.1 million. He's the 12th highest paid player in the league. Toronto's Lorenzo Insigne is the league's highest paid player at $14 million, which is nuts. That is as much as a lot of teams' entire rosters. So this is why the questions about Martinez are popping up. Because he is highly paid. Frankly, these are questions about Arahujo too. Both are highly paid. Both really didn't produce this year. Martinez seemed to fall out of manager Gerardo Martino's plans. He was used. He only started three of the last... 16 games, I think, 12 to 16 games, I believe it was. Um, was mostly used as a second-half sub. A lot of that was they just weren't sure about Martinez's conditioning and form. So he has an offseason, a longer offseason than usual, to try to get himself into shape, or better shape, I should say. But a lot of that depends upon if he wants to be here. He's under contract for 2023. Team has an option for 2024. But if Joseph and his agents and family have decided he does not want to be in Atlanta anymore, the team has got to try to move him, trade him or transfer him. The problem is you look at the salary and you look at what is perceived as his decline, and I don't know what team is going to want to take that risk. The other way this could happen is if Martinez would agree to a new contract less than a DP status, so longer years, less money. Um, but I don't know if he would do that. That's got to be tough to pass up what's going to be $8 million in the next two years. So speaking of the salary and salary cap, ask Carlos Bocanegra what the team's level of comfort is going into the 2023 season. We feel pretty good about where we are with the, the salary cap. And I spoke to, to this a little bit earlier where we didn't want to leverage 
um, and, and really, you know, cripple ourselves on the salary cap front uh, going into next season. Um, so we feel pretty good about that going into next season. Now, there's a couple more salaries that I want to mention uh, when, after listening to Carlos answer about the salary cap. Ezekiel Barco, who's on loan with River Plate, has a guaranteed salary of $2.2 million. He can He can be recalled, but I doubt that's going to happen. I think he's going to finish his loan with River Plate. We don't know how much Atlanta United is paying and how much River Plate is paying of his salary. Eric Lopez, who's on loan with Banfield in Argentina, has a guaranteed salary of $528,300. That is a lot of money on Atlanta United's books. His salary ends or ended after this MLS season. I'm curious if the team is going to bring him back because he's barely played for Banfield. Uh, this has just been a big miss in terms of a signing. So going and looking at some of the other players on the team and their salaries, it's um, there are some interesting salaries. you got Mateus Huzetu, who has one assist and no goals in three years, making $662,500. Emerson Hyman, $657,143. Sosa, $643,100. That's three guys who are somewhat similar, not entirely similar, but somewhat similar. Franco Ibarra, $520,000. That, that's just way too much. It's, it's way, way too much. Edwin Mascara, who I still don't think has scored a goal in his career, $337,000. Ronald Hernandez, a backup fullback, $300,000. It's uh, there are some lopsided salaries on this team. Amar Sadich only makes eighty five thousand four hundred forty four dollars, and you could argue he was the most consistent midfielder outside of Diego Almada on the team. Then you've got a guy like Marcelino Moreno, five hundred sixty eight thousand three hundred thirty three dollars, and he was not in Martino's plans toward the end of the year. And I asked Pineda. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Did I say Gerardo Martino earlier on? I think I did. I, I think I said Gerardo Martino earlier on the podcast. My apologies to Gonzalo Pineda. Just my brain is tired. Here's Pineda talking about why Marino fell out as a winger. Well, Doc, first of all, I would like to say that Marce is a big player. He's a very, very good player. He's done great with the club, with us. He's being a, an ultimate pro with me even in those moments that you just mentioned, the last part of the season where I didn't 
use him as much as 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 he he used to. Uh, he's been an ultimate pro, training every day hard, never a bad face, a bad attitude in training sessions, and those things I really appreciate about the players. That's where they show their character. So I can I don't have anything but good good words about Marcelino. Uh, why I didn't use him as much is a little bit trying to balance out uh, the the team with all the injuries that we have had. So again, you remember in that part of the of the uh, in the middle of the season we start to concede a lot of goals in transition, a lot of goals in set pieces, and and I need to balance out something within the roster. At times I went to back five, and and going to back five means at times I have to take an attacker away. And also we we try to work in really stretch the field vertically with some runs in behind and putting more of a wingers on the outside, trying to to really get those runs in behind the back line. And probably Marcelino's profile is a different one. It's a different type of winger, inverted winger coming inside more into the pocket. And, and the best side for Marcelino is always the left. And that it, it was at times in the same areas with Tiago Almada. So uh, even though both are great players, I felt that because of the balance of the team after the injuries uh, we had, those two probably were not uh, operating in the right way with the rest of the roster and the buildup of the roster. So again, it was kind of trying to balance out the roster to have enough attacking, defending, runs in behind, counter pressure. Uh, but I felt that from the bench, he was effective. And, and at times I used him as a double 10 with Thiago out of necessity. But for sure, we had to make some adjustments to, to try to balance out the team. Y'all know my feelings on, on Moreno. He, he's... To me, he's just he's too one-footed, which is his right foot. He can beat the first guy, but then he gets caught by the same guy and loses the ball. It, it's he does try stuff, which is really good, but there there should just be more there. Um, I'll be stunned if he's on the roster next season. He's going to want to play somewhere, and it doesn't appear that that's going to be Atlanta United. So going back to Joseph for a second, I asked Pineda if he thinks that his relationship with Joseph is salvageable? Uh, my relationship with him, I assume, is good. I mean, to be honest, yes. Uh, obviously, we don't speak quite often as probably in the past, but I, I have nothing against him. I, I don't think he has anything against me. So in my point of view, we are good. Uh, I expect, you know, once his role kind of change, him being such a good competitor, not being happy about it. Yeah, I can understand that and I can take it, but I don't. I cannot say that my relationship with Joseph is bad. Okay, he can't say it's bad, but at the same time, it doesn't sound like it's too great based upon his answers and Carlos just kind of saying, fine, when asked about Joseph. I, again, I'm going to be stunned if Joseph is back next season as well. So turning to... The other pieces of this roster puzzle, the team has a lot of homegrowns, some of whom played well on the roster, on the senior roster, some of whom played decently for Atlanta United 2, and one of which is on loan in uh, Belgium right now. But here's Pineda talking about his plans for some of those guys next season. I would say that that we have to see again how how this roster turns out at the end of the offseason and once we start the preseason I normally try to bring not just the ones that you name but some others that sometimes you have to know uh, and you have to see where they are in the preseason and maybe they get some chances I can put you the example of Aiden McFadden that was with us 
in the preseason, he did very well. And the moment we need a right back, we didn't hesitate to put him. And actually, he did quite well for many games. So uh, that's the type of process that we go through. Uh, but again, as you may know by now, I really trust in the academies. I really trust in homegrowns. I really believe in them. And yeah, I, I'm not hesitant to put any homegrowns on the field, understanding they have to earn their spot in a big club like Atlanta United. So that's a trick. Uh, but I think they all know the ones you mentioned, Noakov has a high ceiling. The other one I would I would mention is Ajani Fortune. It's another one that we have high expectations for him. Uh, but for sure, they will have to come and come through the preseason, impact the, the roster, and then we will make decisions. But with young players, you have to, to be cautious a little bit because they go through a lot of ups and downs and, and you have to be able to manage those. That was an interesting answer. I'm going to be really fascinated to see what happens with the center backs next year. Because going back to the salaries again, you have Miles Robinson, who should be back for the preseason, Bocanegra said. He's making $737,500. Alan Franco, $667,500. You go to Juan Jose Parata, who the club has an option to extend it next year, $483,500. That's three center backs whose salaries are going to be almost $1.75 million. Now you drop down and you start looking around again. You got George Campbell, who a lot of you were down on this season. I thought that he played well. Uh, he's a young guy. I've got to keep forgetting how young he is. And he was being matched and mixed and matched with different center backs and, and everything in a very, very tough year and different midfielders. $98,000. Alex DeJohn, $85,444. I'll be surprised if he's on the team next year. But then you got guys like Noah Cobb, who's a center back, who's going to come in on a homegrown salary, which isn't going to be much. Aiden McFadden, $65,500 as a right back, compared to Brooks Lennon's pay, $500,000. Team is going to have some interesting, interesting choices to make next season. And they, to me, they've got to get the midfield sorted. They've got to get somebody who does something different in that midfield. Santiago Sosa, to me, is not a defensive midfielder. He, he's He's got some issues defensively. Franco Ibarra, not a defensive midfielder because he just can't run. Nice guy, but he just can't run. They need somebody who's going to put some bite in that midfield. You can't say it's going to be Ozzy Alonso. He cannot – He I just don't think at his age, 37 or 38, he's going to be able to hold up over 34 games next year. So that's going to be interesting. So we're going to – Toss to a break and come back with a, a few questions for the mailbag that have been sitting a long time, and I'm sorry if they've gone stale, but this is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week. But we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash utdscarf to get all your political coverage, your sports coverage, your local metro coverage, your arts and culture coverage. $2.30 a week. I spend that on York peppermint patties. Come on, people. Let's let's make it happen. All right. We're going to start off with Nick, one of the Get Fresh crew, 
who says, I wanted to just say thanks for your coverage of this team throughout the best and worst times. We are lucky to have so many reporters who care about doing their job well because not every MLS team has that. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And of course, he's also talking about guys like Sam Jones and Joe Patrick and Felipe and Tyler Pilgrim and Rob Usry, um, Henry Higuita, uh, a guy named Gary Levitt who does an Atlanta United podcast or a, a little blog from Orlando. Um, I'm, pro- I'm forgetting guys, and I, I apologize if I am. Oh, uh, like Siempre United and, and Five Stripes After Dark and, and those guys who all have a passion for this club that is fun. Uh, Lama Rama says, at this point, I'm convinced the team is cursed. What happened this season that all these injuries happened in the same season? If anybody knew, they would fix it, my friend, because it was bizarre. Pineda said he's never seen anything like this before on any team, on any level he's ever been on. You lose two goalkeepers, three fullbacks, I don't know how many midfielders, wingers, strikers. It, it was crazy. Lamarama continues. If the fourth DP spot does happen and it comes with an increase in the salary cap, who do you think should get a raise and which position should the DP be used on? Is there any specific player you would like to see or do you think the front office will go for? Firstly, I don't like the idea of the fourth DP. I would rather just, if you're going to have that kind of money, put it into TAM so that you can pursue more roster, more, more players to make the roster deeper in quality. That's what separates MLS teams from Mexican teams, though the MLS is catching up fast, is there's that depth. And you saw it for Atlanta United this season. They lose so many players at, at a few games this season. You look at the back six. It consisted of players who I think five of the six weren't even on the roster at the beginning of the year. Now, you don't think you're going to get that kind of injuries next year, but if you have more depth, that isn't going to be the solution, the having to sign players midseason. As for what specific player I would like to see the front office use it on, a lot depends upon Joseph. If Joseph comes back and he's in good form and he's scoring goals, they don't need a striker. If he decides to leave, they've got to go get a striker. They've got to get somebody that will score because goals change games, and Atlanta United did not score enough this year. David says, I'm curious to see the disparity of passes back to the goalkeeper between Atlanta United and NYCFC. He, this is going back to the season-ending game. I feel like we are way too quick to use Godinho or Rocco as soon as we come under pressure and it invites pressure and is predictable. I don't disagree with you. A lot of that is because Atlanta United just does not make a lot of off-the-ball runs um, when it when it has the ball. If you watched the Montreal game last night against Orlando and you saw their movement and passing, it was so pretty. That's what Atlanta United is supposed to be doing, but the players, for whatever reason, just... Don't execute it uh, nearly enough. It's it's a really strange thing that I wish I could give you an answer to because it sometimes can be very, very boring. And that's just not fun. Nobody wants to watch boring soccer. Let me see if we have any more questions uh, from in the in the emails here. I'm going back through all these Braves emails from last week that I was getting that Jay got to. 
because Jay was part of our excellent Braves coverage team. We had a good time in Philly. Yeah, we had a great time. I love Philadelphia. I really do. Uh, Pat says, and I answer this on the Twitters, but I'll answer it again here. If you had to choose five current players to build your team around, assuming all are healthy, who do you choose? Pats are Miles Robinson, Andrew Gutman, Diego Almada, Brooks Lennon, and Joseph Martinez. I would be curious to see Joseph's goals per minute played this year. I don't see a replacement for his output in the short term. I um, I would go. I would agree with you on Miles Robinson, Andrew Gutman, Diego Almada, and Brooks Lennon. I think I would probably throw in. I really like George Campbell. I really do. I think he's got such a high ceiling. I might throw him in, and then I'll throw a six, Caleb Wiley. I think Caleb is going to be a fantastic player for Atlanta United as he gets more playing time. And he can play as a winger or as a fullback. So that's that's going to give Pineda a lot of flexibility going forward. And let me see if there's any more. Yes, Rob, friend of the podcast a member of the Get Fresh crew, says, thanks again for another amazing year covering the team. Here are a few final questions. What did you make of Pineda's decision to bring Joseph on at halftime? If he doesn't want him here next year, which his actions seem to indicate he doesn't, wouldn't it be more honoring to the club's greatest legend to sub him on or off at a time the fans could give him the ovation he deserves? Yeah, I I thought Joseph would start. I really, really did. It was a meaningless game. I thought Joseph would get that start, but uh, Pineda stuck to his guns. Um, if that was Joseph's last game, that was a sad ending and sad way for him to go out. But that's just the way it is sometimes. Piggybacking off of this, Rob continues, what did you make of Pineda's statement that he brought Joseph and Moreno on at halftime because we needed more goals? That's why everyone has been asking him to start Joseph in the first place. He scores goals. To start the game, both of our top scorers, Joseph and Ronaldo Cisneros, were on the bench only to sub one of them on at the half because he needed more goals. It makes me wonder if Pineda has lost the plot. It's almost as if he's more interested in establishing his authority as the coach than winning games when winning games is what will establish his authority as coach. I've been thinking a lot about Pineda's substitution choices. It's always interesting to me if you're chasing a game and you bring in a like-for-like substitute and plug them into the same formation, it's always curious to me, why would you do that? If the formation wasn't working in terms of creating chances and scoring goals, then why bring in another similar player and plop him into that same position in hopes that something is going to change? It's just interesting to me. Um and if that is what you're going to do, then to Rob's point, why not start that player in the first place? Okay. Third question from Rob. At the end of the day, it would have taken 48 points to get into this year's playoffs, much higher than just about anyone predicted. And with tiebreakers, we would have needed 49. In your estimation, what were the most earnable nine points we dropped this year? Red Bulls, NYCFC, Nashville. Boom, boom, boom. That was nine points right there. Easy. Easy, easy. Giving up two goals to Red Bulls when you had the lead. Giving up the late goals to Nashville when you had the lead. Not good. Not good at all. An Olympico at Charlotte to lose one to nothing there. 
there's just some bad results this year for this team. Just awful results this year for this team. Toronto game, not good. Not being able to beat Chicago, not good. And that was just a god-awful game. Just awful, awful game. Anyway, those are some of the those are some of the points that were left out there in the cyberspaces. All right, we are going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer podcast. I don't know when we'll have another one. I guess it's going to depend upon when Atlanta United makes its off-season roster announcements. Some teams have already started to do that. The team is going to uh, train for three more weeks up until MLS Cup. That is allowed by the CBA, and then they will go into the offseason. I hope y'all are. Well, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and for growing this podcast. It did really well this year. I want to thank Jay and Shane and Daniel for their work uh, on the board and behind the mic and cutting up all the audio. They did a, a fantastic job all season, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the little tweets we'll probably make next year to the podcast and other elements that we have in our social media toolbox for games. Um, as always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones, and y'all take care. AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.